Hi everybody, it's uh, so fantastic to see you. Welcome to Guru Live at Glasgow. Uh, just to tell you, this is kind of the boring stuff, uh, we'll be releasing podcasts to today's session, uh, plus lots of original content from all the coming weeks. So there's details on all our platforms they find on our BAFTA website. The BAFTA website is your friend. And also, if you want to tweet or anything else, we'd love to see all your highlights. Just tag uh, at BAFTA Scotland on Twitter using the hashtag GuruLive. And then you can follow BAFTA Scotland on Instagram and share your snaps. No bottoms, please. Now, <laughs> there's virtually no point in me introducing this next guest because if you don't know who this is, you have been living in a cultural <coughs> wilderness for years, wandering alone in a desert of no talent because this is one of the most important writers, actors, comic dark forces that we've ever produced in the UK. He is, of course, the wonderful, and you will have to tell your grandchildren that you're in the same room as him, <laughs> Ruth Shearsmith. Tons to talk about. Is going to keep a kind of an industry focus on this because yeah. this is what everybody's here to do. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to start like I'm by ignoring saying, all them lots. You'll get your chance for questions by the way, yeah. at the end of it, so don't worry. We'll come to you. Um, League of Gentlemen, Psychoville, Inside Number Nine, all absolutely impeccable. It's one of the things that surprised me is it's you've always been bubbling in the background there, yeah. just being absolutely adored, revered by critics, viewers, everything. It seems to have taken quite a long time for you to get noticed. I know it sounds <laughs> stupid. You won tons of awards, but you know what I mean? You've been doing this wonderful work for years, and Inside Number Nine particularly was a real slow burner with yeah. all the proper you know, award ceremonies and everything, and that's really bugged me. Good. Frankly. It has me. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I mean, without turning into Ollie Plimsoll. <laughs> issues, issues, issues. That's the uh, last time I'll do that. I think, well, you know, I'm, I wake up every day pleased that they're still deciding that there's a place for me and Steve's voice and vision and uh, that we're allowed to occupy um, writing this dark comedy stuff that we do. And, you know, it's never, it was never a... A decision to think that no one's doing that, so let's do a dark comedy. It was just our sense of humour, and that's what people have decided it is. And yet, you know, I think maybe tonally people have us pegged in a certain area, and that's why it's never, it doesn't ever broaden out. They've, they're happy with the weird fans that we that like our stuff, and that's it. And there's a lid on it. And I, but and I think it's that the, there are some episodes of Number Nine that are just very silly and. Our work is, is, is sometimes really silly and, then, and also very dark and, and dramatic as well. And that's, it's a hard thing to categorise and therefore maybe they, it suffers slightly from being pegged as one thing that they think only a certain amount of people will enjoy. Where I think if you dared to show other people or your friends that you think might not like it, that you would find something in it because it's just human, human nature, you know. Well, that, that is a really good point, is that you're not really allowed to be a polymath, are you? The whole point is that if you peg yourself, you I do this, I do that. But the fact yeah. is that number nine isn't just comedy. There's incredible dark pathos in it. There's real drama. Um, and they can't bear it when you nimbly skip between the two, really, can they? Yeah, well, that's... I mean, we try to do that. And I think, you know, we were talking earlier, I think it's to do with uh, the confusion. You know, it's on at 10 o'clock on BBC Two, which is the decision has been made that it's too... the things in it that are quite horrible. And yet, at 9 o'clock on BBC One, even in the EastEnders sometimes, you get quite <laughs> horrific things. But you're sort of geared up for it because that's... You, you've, your mindset has gone into it with, all oh, right, this is one of these working the deads where there's going to be a body and there's child abuse and all these horrible things. But we smuggle in horrors into a comedy where your mind is sitting down to watch what you think is going to be a light-hearted thing. And so the sucker punch of it affecting you where you're not steeled for it, I think is all the, all the greater. So that's maybe why it is as, as affecting as it is, because, we, yeah, we don't just do comedy. I mean, in fact, 
We haven't done comedy for about 20 years. <laughs> so it feels like it's always you know, truthful. We try to do it truthfully. You know, our writing has really changed over the years from being sketches and, and a, a one-joke thing to very quickly realizing there was more mileage and more, it was more interesting to take a character from its initial joke and take it out of the initial joke and give it a life that continues outside of its initial joke. And, and, and can you do that? Can they become a three-dimensional character that you care about over time? What was the difference going from four writers on League of Gentlemen, because um, Jeremy Dyson was the fourth people that didn't appear, um, yeah. to two? I mean, writing by committee, I can't imagine how four of you write that. Yeah, well, we never did. I mean, we, we wrote as, as pairs. Steve and I write together, and Mark and Jeremy wrote together. And uh, we would, the hardest part of writing the league was always coming back together to see them pool the material of what we'd, what we'd written and how it would all fit, if it could fit, because mm. it was all disparate sketches. You know? The league obviously was just a, a series of sketches with weird characters and situations. And the not very clever idea that we housed it in was to put it into a town, just have them, you know, for the radio we called it Spence and we thought it would be a, a sort of literary joke, the idea that it was a, on its last legs. But it was more than, we didn't want to just do dis disparate sketches, so we mm. thought let's put it all in a town and then Benjamin could arrive and he could be the eyes of the audience experiencing these weird people and we had Barbara who was able to take us around the town with her as a taxi driver. So that was the nuts and bolts of it and then uh, that idea became bigger than the sum of its parts. It was Royston Vasey became a weird place that um, these things could happen in and yet it was only ever the characters and sketches that were that. But yeah, it did. It started to become. There was a narrative coming through, even like with Mickey Love, and but it actually yeah, became course, yeah. really, really tragic. So yeah, uh, but the writing. Sorry, to go yeah. back to the writing of it was, you know, that and that was easy-ish to. Um, obviously, we just write lots of disparate things, but then the discipline was. Oh, it's a shame. That's a brilliant historical sketch that Mark and Jeremy have written on, but it doesn't fit, and so we had to have. There were parameters on it where, you know, some things that we thought were great, we couldn't do. And that was surprising to us as young writers because we thought, well, why can't we do the things we've written that we think are really good? But it was a good lesson in learning that you've got to know what your thing is and mm. stick to it in the, in the allotted uh, world that you've decided upon. I mean, in the end, we managed in League Live to do some historical stuff and fit mm. those things in that we wanted to do. But... Um, it was as much about what you could do as what you couldn't. But suddenly writing Psychoville with, only with Steve was much easier in a way than... Because we didn't have the other two voices. You know, suddenly it was... And we were able to look at and follow through that big arc of a story, quite consciously writing something that was much uh, more narrative-driven than League. It was always there, creeping into the League with third series, which became more of an ongoing story. But... Um, we suddenly felt like we should write something that was a... It was, in, it was sort of the early days of 24 and this, the box set mm. world, and we thought it would be nice to do something where you couldn't wait to watch the next one. That was an exercise in that. And then we went back to single stories with number nine, which was because we got so sick of having to write this big, sprawling thing that it was nice to just do one-offs. Let's, let's have a clip of, from League of Gentlemen, actually, first, because we've got some clips. So let's Good. take a look at that first. Um, that character, you know, who, who recurs a lot. I mean, th this brings me actually to something <laughs> we were talking about earlier. You, um, you, you play all the way through, even in Psychoville, actually, there's always a character that you develop that's a really furious, angry man. <laughs> really, really furious. Yeah. And um, uh, barely holding it together, that always hides some kind of damage. Would you like to discuss that? <laughs> well, it's not a big leap of the imagination, is it, to realise there's a lot of that in me. And, um, you know, I did Mr Jelly as well, who's a very angry character, and Ollie Plimsolls. I've always been, I've always enjoyed um, the disproportionate rage of some of my characters. And, um, so I, I don't know where it's come from. I, obviously, I've got pent-up fury, but I, I, like enjoy, I like playing the sort of uh, the build-up. I think it's to do with the, the drama of taking something, you know, that's got a lid on it and, and keeping it bubbling and, and then, but then bursting it in inappropriate moments. 
it usually ends up in terrible tragedy as well. So it's, I mean, you invite, <laughs> yeah. you invite us to laugh at them and think they're despicable, and then you end up... Just well, I think that's, yeah, pity. it's always surprised me about the league. I mean, there was such joy for the... When we brought back the, it back, it seemed that the people really... That knew it because it's years old now. It's twenty years ago. People might not know it anymore. But I was always surprised at how much love there was for these characters. Although, and I wasn't as well because we did try to, however grotesque, and you know, the, the, it was broad and there was some very sort of big makeups in it. It's like Mr. and Mrs. Tiggywinkle, some of it, you know, <laughs> Tubbs and Edward. But they are big uh, characters, and yet they're hopefully there's a kernel of truth in the performances that allowed you to sort of see beyond the cartoon-like uh, initial joke and, and stay with them long enough to start to care. And then you, you've got all to play for if, if things start to happen to them that, and, and you're feeling things and you're conflicted. You know, we did uh, the character of Hairlip and in the film we explored the, what it would be like to, be, to acknowledge that you're, a, you're just a set of innuendos. That's your character trait. And... Uh, People feel sorry for him and uh, our known pederast murderer. <laughs> and Tubbs and Edward and, uh, and Pauline, who was the biggest monster of them all, and people began to feel uh, conflicted about how she was being... Uh, her plight that we put her through, having her, having her sacked and her job was everything, and suddenly you see her, this monster as a, as a human, and that's, that's when you've got them then, because you think you can... Uh, Manipulate the feelings. It was joyful to play with their uh, their initial joke and and sort of try to make them real because that's something that you can really explore and start to mine their um, their character more. And it doesn't feel then that it is just this one joke thing that you're just repeating. We were never big on that. We were always fearful of of it turning into something that you could predict and uh, that was just the same every week. And we really, I hope. I've never done that, and I, you know we're fans of things that, are, that maintain a level of scrutiny on the writing and, and don't just churn it out. You know, if I'm ever accused of it, I'd be mortified to think that people thought it was lazy, because mm. we really try hard to not be. That, that's a great uh, point to bring up here, because um, there's a there's. Uh, you know, I think there's this. Occasionally, you get somebody bursts onto the scene in inverted commas just because they appear on TV. People go, "This brand new person." Yeah. And in actual fact, they've spent years and years and years developing oh, it. Like overnight, ten years success. Yeah, like Phoebe Waller Bridge or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the greatest skills a writer uh, or an actor, any artist at all, has is the concealment of process. It's the art lies in the concealment of art. So um, I remember seeing you on the couch in some breakfast or something, and they're saying, oh, you must have lovely fun. You go, oh, yes, we have lots of fun. But it's not just fun, is it? It's absolutely <laughs> no. sweating every single detail. It is, yeah. I mean, you sort of don't want to uh, reveal the magic trick of it, really, because yeah. that's what... I mean, I, I'm really... I hate it when... Uh, and doing plays, and in rehearsal, they want to bring in cameras to take little shots of us rehearsing to put on the website just to start to advertise it. It's like we haven't even, we don't know what we're doing yet. And don't bring in, this is, I saw Michael Gambon interview, and they were, they were asking him about, I think it was on a South Bank, and they uh, asked him if they could come back. And he was like, and he absolutely wouldn't want them in the backstage area. He says, it's magic what we do here. Mm. And I thought, yeah, it's good. Mm. Keep a lid on some of it. Don't expose all of it because it is literally like a magic trick. I mean, some people love magic because they don't know how it's done. Others think it's dumb because they think they're being tricked and they want to know it. And they'll go, show me what's up your sleeve. Oh, yeah, see? Mm. Shit, that's what you just did. <laughs> I loved it for a minute when I didn't know. Now it's just crap because I can see the mechanics of it. And I think that about the, the process of just sort of revealing everything. I mean, there is no magic to it. It's toil mm -hmm. and it's hard work. I mean, it's not... My brother is a fisherman, so I know real, what real hard work is. So I, I can't pretend that this is like the same thing that he does. But it's exhausting of, um, of the mind. You know, we sit and we, we, we uh, agonise even more so now with number nine, with uh, pulling the rug over people's eyes when they're all geared up to look for the, look for the surprises. You know, and that's a harder thing to, to hide now because people are onto it. But it is a lot of work, and we don't have much time to film them anymore. The, the budgets go down and down every series. And we did this last series in 28 days, which was really quick. It, that was five days an ep, and one, day we did in, one episode we did in three days. And uh, that constraint, 
we really felt this time, and it was, it was much harder work. So it's not just pissing around laughing and, and doing take after take, although P Peter Kay does that. <laughs> but um, We've got we good, don't. We haven't we, got time. We've got a good clip to show. Actually, like, listen, I can back that up because I was lucky enough to, honoured enough to work with you for yes, two lines of I have never been quieter on a set in my entire life. <laughs> I was terrified, you know, the great Fiona Shaw and you acting, and there was no laughs at all. Yeah, Especially I know. when that I mean, prop feel, my I left mean, a script in short. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's mm, do it again. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because you, you're making comedy and the thing that you, well, I'll say that, not that funny, some of them, but um, that you're trying to do good work and it, it can be stressful and yet on the other side of it, the, the dexterous thing to try to do on a set is to f keep it feeling fun and yeah. free and you are trying to do make it enjoyable because you can't I've been on sets where it's gone wrong and there's an atmosphere not an out never on my things but uh, <laughs> acting other people's things and it, someone has kicked off or there's been a and it just descends as a gloom mm. and you can't be can't be funny anymore and it's a real skill in keeping that buoyant and they do talk about filming like it's a slow motion emergency and it, you do have that terrible ticking gut-wrenching feeling of the day being lost, yeah. waiting on things. But uh, it's stuff to, to have to just put behind you when you're in front of the camera doing it, and you've got to make it all go away, and, and in the moment, be look the most relaxed you've ever been. And it's, a, it's a very counterintuitive yeah, thing. Yeah, again, it's the concealing of the effort. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, actually, we've got a clip, actually, from uh, Karshi, which really went viral. <laughs> and actually... I want you to look at this in a really different light from what we've just been talking about because <laughs> I spotted this right off and I just checked the reason that I was right is that you're trying to get this right and you're annoying Peter Kay. <laughs> and honestly, like, watch this and see what you think. Right. That's not the clip I'm talking about. The clip I'm talking about, you just go on YouTube and see the outtakes of that scene, oh, yeah. right? That's what I'm talking about because that's the edited version, which is... Really, show, yeah. which is in the show. But if you look at the outtakes, where Reese is really concentrating, trying to get that funny, and then Peter Kay keeps laughing, and you're he getting does. really annoyed with him because <laughs> you're making a show. Well, yeah. I mean, I was. <laughs> it gets frustrating when it goes. There's a point where coaxing becomes not a good thing, and you think, actually, I can't. I don't think I can ever recover from it. And that's scary when you've got yeah. that fear of yes, actually, I'm going to laugh, all, and you yeah. start seeing people getting actually annoyed with it and it's like not funny anymore and yet that only makes it worse you know it's a delicious terrible feeling and uh, Peter was <laughs> he is a giggler and he laughs a lot and I I suspected he was not going to get through this and I, you know, I was I didn't help it no no didn't help I sort it of was then I, it gave me permission to do to go further with it which is maybe you know what maybe what he was what he was after but he knows what he wants and he can get across when he when he if you go too far with it, but that day he was laughing his head off. And we did it. It was a lovely yeah, whole go, day. Honestly, find it on, find it on the internet. It's yeah. really brilliant how it takes. Um, talking about the low budget, they're, they're cutting yeah. constant budget for Inside Number 9. This is slightly bugs me, and I'm going to suggest that this might be the case. Is it because you're so unbelievably highly regarded by your peer group, as well as uh, an audience, you can get these massive names on who I know do number nine for rate. Mm. So, you know, you could get somebody who would normally charge, they just couldn't possibly afford them, right? Yeah. Um, and that, that's slightly using you, really. Um, because you, I mean, you can snap your fingers and anyone will come on inside number nine. Well, I, that's lovely to say. I mean, I, we, we do hear now that more the actors are, are aware of when it's casting or when it's going to about to be mm. cast and say, have you thought about me for it? Which is lovely. I, I know why. It's because it's a... It's an appealing thing for an actor to come and do a week in the thing, and, and it's generally done in five days, and you could fit it in. You know, some people we've had that have been able to fit it in, and but no one's no one has turned us down that, that we've suggested that we've asked no, to do, okay. and we've always managed to get people. We never write them with anyone in mind. We've always written them, and then just hope nearer the time, the two week window that you've got when you approach cast it, actually filming it, then you start asking if you're free for. You know, you can't hope for to have people keep things free for months in advance. So uh, we've always been lucky, but um, yeah, they do, we do get good names on BBC Two for them. Yeah. And that's, that's a thing, that's, 
it's, it's, not, it's not the be-all and end-all of it, but it, it's lovely to think that there's a thing like it because it's nice to get these guest casts that are different every week and it's, a, it's one of those things you don't really see as much on TV and that was why, why we wanted to do it. It was just a, a, a little playhouse where you could... Where the writing was the thing and uh, it sort of slipped into it being uh, always these uh, surprising twists, but that... It, that wasn't sort of the, the opening gambit. That mm. wasn't what we went in pitching. It wasn't, oh, we, we want to do Tales of the Unexpected. It was more just storytelling and having a, a place where you could do the, the one-off half hour. Like, it was a massive tradition in the yeah. 70s, and there's a long history of TV that is that. Brilliant TV television. TV. Yeah, and it just didn't seem like it was around. And partly, I think, due to the thing of um, the box set, hook people in, write stories that have returning characters because that's your only way an audience will stay with you uh, mindset, which is still around, but maybe less so. I'm not really sure. It's great to hear that they're doing a Twilight Zone again and there is more, and Black Mirror is one-off stories, but there is a thematic thing across mm. those. Our things have no link other than Steve and I write them all and are in them all, and, that, and tonally there's a thing about that that's us. So that's your link and way in. But it was really just the opportunity of telling some stories and playing with television, playing mm. with the way that you can tell stories on television and the, the concept of what it, is, what it means to be beamed into people's homes and experience a, a programme. I mean, never more so than when we did the Halloween special last year where we... Mm. I mean, we didn't want to do it live. We thought it wouldn't be a... We thought, well, EastEnders do live ones now. It's, <laughs> it's now to do a live one. And then we thought, why would we bother... Again, because we didn't want to feel like we'd just done it, like everyone else would just do it. So I said, well, the only re real reason to do it is if it goes wrong. That would be exciting, because then you're playing with the very idea of it. So then there was this big, elaborate lie that we had to spin with, because we were so fearful that it would get out. If it got out, it's, everything is gone about it, if you knew it was... So it, it was imperative that we... Uh, that people believe we were doing a live one and, and, and fingers crossed it all goes right on the night. And we knew we'd get questions about whether it would go wrong because that's what they asked. Are you frightened it's going to go wrong? Mm. Well, yeah, no, but yeah, you should, we'll stumble through and I think that's why people... Anyway, we, we went on the one show deliberately. We don't like doing press, but... <laughs> we went on the one show to seed the idea of the ghosts. If everyone's not seen it, then I'm spoiling it, sorry. But um, we knew that there'd be a bit in it where... It was an ironical nod to the pro what happened in the programme that the ghosts get us at the end. That we, if we went on the one show promoting it, and we asked, we got the producer, the, the presenters didn't know anything about it, but we, our producer knew their producer, and they have a meeting where they talk about what questions they're going to ask the guests, and we got their producer to ask, to say to them, oh, and ask them if they believe in ghosts. <laughs> Maybe, because it's Halloween and blah, blah, blah. Not sure that they would, because there's a list, and yeah, you yeah. may or may not do it and we thought let's please god they ask us and they did because we, and the first thing we thought was we can't let them in on it because they'll be suddenly shit actors because <laughs> <laughs> they'd love it oh yeah no <laughs> and um, so we thought they've got to do it like they would really do it on the night so they did and they didn't know and they fe fell into our trap and they asked do you believe in ghosts and I'm no not at all and then, we, and then I thought brilliant we've got it we've got that moment on television that we can then put in the programme at the end so it was an elaborate uh, hoax which worked and I was really pleased because we wanted it to be as authentic as possible I thought well when it's two and a half minutes into a quiet night in the repeat of an old one you're never going to think it's now oh, this is still part of it Mm. You absolutely, because mm. it's too long. Yeah. And ha happily, a fifth of the audience turned off. <laughs> <laughs> so it weirdly, I was pleased about that because it meant it, we'd done it correct. Not really what you're striving for, but. Well, t anyway. Twitter went mad. Yes, uh, I mean, was great, yeah, oh my god, what's happened? What's and happened? I did my, yeah. my tweet on the night. Well, that went out on the night. I know, I and that was, I mean, that was a real sort of double bluff. And actually the watching mad thing about that was I had to have my real phone on to do the tweet. So <laughs> people were texting me when they thought it had gone wrong. <laughs> I thought, I don't Brown texted me, oh, fucking hell, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I thought, yes, this is the kind of thing you do. <laughs> So I loved it, because it was like, yeah. But I was having to sort of delete them. I was trying to do the acting, I knew the cameras on me, and I was getting down and I've got so many brilliant clips, actually. I'm going to just show this one with um, Alan Partridge, because uh, this uh, ties into the angry man with issues. Oh, right. <laughs> Here's yeah. on Alan Partridge. 
And again, you should watch that whole thing, but again, we end up sympathising with you. <laughs> um, that's occurred to me as well, that um, the, when you did the updated, not updated, the recent League of Gentlemen yeah. series, I, I bet you were worried about diluting the legacy, because it's, the legacy is so, so enormous and so... Oh, yeah. And also, we the did. other thing is that, I can't believe it's 20 years, that's terrifying. There's jokes in there, there's characters in there, in the original series, um, that you couldn't do now. Because, Absolutely, And yeah. uh, I just wondered how on earth you, you sort of had to deal with that, because you wouldn't want it to be diluted, and you'd no. want it to be as strong and authentic, but you just can't do those things. Yeah, well, I mean, there were, I don't know, we, we decided that we couldn't, if we wanted to do it at all, and there's been a few years where we could have done a, a, a return to the league because we, you could you can just pick your 20 year anniversary. It could be when we first did it, when no one saw it. We could be when we first did the radio. It could be when we first did the TV. It could be when we first did the Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. So there was time. Years were rolling on. It was like it could be this year if we all decide to do it and stop doing other things. And we eventually thought, well, let's write it. Jeremy said, let's just write it. And if we don't like it, I'll think it's not going to do us any favours. Just we won't do it. No one's making us do it. So we did. That's what. We did. And that was very freeing to think it wasn't this big, yeah. you know, you shouldn't think about yourself in terms of it being like a, an iconic thing. We just did it again the way that we'd always done it. Mm. And thought, what would these characters that we'd left 20 years ago be doing now? And, uh, but we knew we couldn't come back toothless and not be the thing it was. Otherwise, what, what is it? I mean, you in, instantly will be uh, disappointing for the, for the fans that are expecting to see these people doing the things they did, but time has moved on. And I think, you know, we tried to, without becoming Jim Davison, and, and right where you start to rail and think, actually, I'm becoming like, I'm railing against everything that I used to think was liberal, and I, I'm now I'm, I'm finding truth in, in all these sort of shorthand things that, you, that people get incensed about on Twitter. We just, we really had to um, think carefully, and then we ignored our... We ignored the, those thoughts because we thought, what we're doing, why are we second-guessing? You can't second-guess what anyone's going to think about anything. And you will offend someone any, somewhere about anything. You know, you do a joke about a cat in a house. Uh, well, my, my cat died in my house. <laughs> so what are you doing? <laughs> and it's like, oh, right, sorry. Uh, I didn't know. And uh, so you can, of course, always highlight someone's... Um, beef with your with what you're doing and uh, comedy anyway is very uh, um, angry making a lot of people get very cross with comedy in a way that you just allow dramas to float by and you know you, you watch a half hour an hour and a half of a program and think it hasn't really got going yet but I'll give it another watch next week see if it gets going so well apply those rules to a half hour of comedy oh. you can't and you've got to be hit the ground running and uh, and then you've got the people's opinions about what's funny mm. So, you know, we did, we agonised over, not agonised, there was some lines in Hair Lip in the new one where we thought, should we, is it all going to be hijacked by him, by somehow celebrating a paedophile? You know, that's the thought that we had, that we thought people might somehow take it and, and run with it and twist it. But we just thought, no, just do it, just say it. it's what he was, and it's, that, that's what's funny about it, and it's a dark comedy, and you're set up for those moments. And uh, um, in the end, we just thought we can, I think we can, we're grown up enough to be able to hold two different ideas in our head and not find it offensive. Because that's the problem with the world today. People can't think about two things at once. If you are able to think about it, then you, you can see a way through of understanding what um, the... the Humor is where the humor is coming from. We felt. No, it's right, and because I mean, Papa Lazarus isn't blackface. Papa Lazarus is a demon. Like, so well, yeah, I mean, we never in a single ever in a conversation about that ever had the, the idea. I mean, yeah, you could say it does. It is blackface because that's the look of it in the eyes. But it was always in our mind. It was like a, a clown. It was like a mm -hmm. dark clown. And uh, we wanted it to be just a monstrous yep. demon from your. And, and I don't think anyone ever has really. I had a problem with no. that. I mean, I, we never had a complaint. And uh, it, it's, it's, it comes from a place like um, the child catcher, you know, mm -hmm. a sort of a demon from your worst horrors. It's beyond that. It's, that's the last thing he is. It was just a, and it was an existing character, and we thought it would be... What would it say if we didn't do it? Would it say that, oh, it's a shame? I don't know. We just felt that we were able to bring him back in a way that was satisfying and not offensive, I don't think. Well, that absolutely delighted me as well, because... 
um, I was bracing myself for the kind of new Twitter sphere to be yeah, well, complaining yeah, about barbers before your programme's finished. I know, and I didn't see anybody complain. And that's because, here's my theory for what it's worth, is because none of it's unkind. It's really dark. It's really, really dark and ghastly. Yeah. But there's nothing unkind. I know that sounds stupid, but it isn't. No, it's, I think, I mean, there are brutes, it's brutal some it's of the but, league, but the it's same. not the same. And no. I think there is, we did care about the characters. Yeah. And, you know, of all of the people, the monsters in league, Barbara was always the most sane one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and spoke, yeah. spoke her mind and was very happy with it. And it, that's, you know, yeah, I think we... She was a campaigner for LGBT yes, rights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we thought there was room in the world to be able to look at the absurdity of the day-to-day -day changing of what you can and can't say as an idea. And that, and that was what we, that was how we managed to bring back that yeah. character and do it. And you know, people may think he's tinnied, and we're old men trying to still have our cake and eat it. We didn't feel like it was like that, and we felt it was true to the legacy of it, if you like, that, that we were able to do it. Um, the, the the broad. Uh, cross-section of what you do, just theatre acting as well, which if anyone gets a chance to see recent theatre, yes. it's absolutely off the scale. It's brilliant. But you've never tried directing, um, and I quite like that. No. Yeah. I really, really, I really admire that, because um, not everybody can do everything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, mm. we, we did a couple of episodes of the number nine uh, in series three, but uh, it's not something I'm that bothered about. I mean, I, it would be enjoyable to do it if I was only doing the directing, but yep. to do both, mm. I didn't. I found like neither got my full attention. That yeah. was uncomfortable to me. So yeah, and exactly right. You you don't profess to know everything. Mm. We're not. You know, I wince sometimes when I see the program and it starts and it says written by and then our names are on at the end, starring and exec producing. And it's like Orson Welles type <laughs> megalomania. And you, uh, but I, I hope that we, when we start, we step back and we become just actors in it and we let the directors that we've chosen bring their thing to it because you presume that people know better than you do about some other things. And your hope is it's, it's all better for, for that. And it's better than what we imagined when we wrote it in a, a room in Muswell Hill, you know. Mm. You want it to get along the way, bring all these people in that are raising their game and making this nice thing. And I think people want to work uh, that extra mile on it. Mm. You know, it's tight and the, the work is hard and we overrun sometimes and that's never nice to have to ask the crew to do that. But they, I've never seemed to see anyone mind and I think it's because they believe in it. Mm. Loads of people wanted to work on the league when it came back because they were all fans of it so it was like a cherished job to want to be part of and that's lovely to think it's people are not it's not a journeyman thing where they're just trudging to work mm. and it's a another one so and that because that is spills into the way that we think about tv we try really hard to be fans of it and write it in a way so you watch it and it's not like everything else it doesn't wash over you it's hard to do television is so disposable you know it's next day's chip paper and to have anything that leaves any mark at any length of time is a real achievement, I think. So to have done it after the league, again, with the things we've done that seem to have, has re have re had a resonance is a remarkable thing, I think, that people are still bothered by it because you've only got that. You play your hand once. All oh, right, they're the dark comedy ones. So that's what that's going to be for the rest of the time. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it sort of is, but it's how you return with and move it on. And that's, that's been the hard part, being the creator of it, to think, can we still keep doing it? But you're wrong to say it's ephemeral because I mean, there's the League of Gentlemen things have gone into common parlance. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, really that, yeah. Are I you know. local? You know, you my local? wife nowadays, you know, all that. It's all it's common parlance. The same way that you know Douglas Adams' book yes. is common parlance. And as soon as that happens, there's nothing you can do about it. It just belongs to another generation, even though they don't know where it came from. <laughs> yes, it's true. I guess so. I yeah. mean, everybody goes, "Are you local?" Yeah. And you started that. I know. It's funny, isn't it? I think <laughs> it did become a. Television doesn't disappear now because of the internet. Yeah, And that's I the know. thing. Uh, you know, it, it used to. Absolutely, yeah, it used yeah. to. And you didn't have the kind of, you know, the reel-to-reel, -reel, you know, 35-millimeter well, thing true. in the back. I mean, but now it's sort of, yeah. It depresses me in a way that you oh. can think, oh, my God, what was that moment in that armchair thriller where the woman... Oh. And then you, within about 30 seconds, you can find it yeah. and watch yeah. it. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was that. Yeah, the BFI have it. Where yeah. years, yeah. You know, on, on YouTube or anywhere. Yeah, you absolutely. Can, you can... Imagine not knowing for about a, a day. I know. <laughs> yeah. Or being puzzled by something, trying to, oh, yeah. I wish I could remember that thing. You should try that out. thing. It's a yeah, play, yeah. play, 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 play,
talking about talking about television, uh, which is you know, where all your screen work has been. Um, I, it's in a really bad place right now. Sorry to everybody who's just getting into it. It's not in a bad place. <laughs> Some of it is, popular factual, particularly. But scripted isn't because of all these new streaming services. But terrestrial yes. conventional television is in a very peculiar place. It's going to either have to catch up with streaming or it's, it's going to have to change. Now, uh, you're feeling the pinch of the BBC are nicking all your budget. Uh, I know you go out on Netflix, but that's just a purchase. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's just a so, UK. So, I mean, are you, I mean, please say yes to this. Are you, are you looking to that new future of the delivery mechanism of going to somewhere like Netflix or Apple or Prime to make new material? Because, I mean, why, why stick with the BBC, sorry, BBC, if they're, if they're not, if they're taking them serious, if they're taking it for granted, um, yeah, I is, mean, there a, is there a better platform? I don't know. I mean, we plod on. I use the word mm. plod when you rolled your eyes before, but <laughs> plod on doing that. We're very happy with our lots, you know. I do, uh, I'm pleased to be the level we're at writing these things in a room and they're undiluted as when they're on TV. We, we get very, very little interference and that's why they're, they feel authored and they feel like they're our thing and that's, but you can't really get your handle, uh, your claws into it. I mean, we we submit them, and the producers have very few notes, but it would be hard to say, can the ending not be that? You know, it's like <laughs> to unravel it and pick it, you know, they're, they're too tightly conceived. So, uh, so we're, and, and that is a very cherishable situation to be in. You know, that's all you're striving for. I tell Jeremy, and he's like, what? You just write them and they're made. And it's like, yes, and, and that's ne <laughs> that never happens, of course. The hell of um, unpicking your vision or changing the way you think you wanted to tell the story because someone else has said not on a read-through could be galling and um and is for when you if you end up writing a thing that's like i'm writing this now and it's not the version i imagined that i want that i want mm. to write we find it hard of writing our own thing we often get asked to write other, other things and we invariably we've turned them down because we haven't got the excitement or the fire to want to write it and yeah, that's luxurious i know to be able to be in that position. But, and I'm, I'm not sure every writer is a journeyman writer that can cast their eye on, will you write me a thing about um, an old people's home? Yes, mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. And you just do a brilliant version. You've got to have a reason to want to do it, and it's, it just has to bubble out of you with a, with a passion. And, and that, I can't write any other way. I, I've turned my eye on, onto certain interests in number nine, and I'm able to, to, to vent in that, with those different storytelling aspects week after week and it's fantastic because it keeps changing it up but um so i'm loath to to dare to rock the boat and move to like a, a situation where it would be like okay let's, let's have a look what you've got uh yeah well this is very very uh promising <laughs> and then suddenly it would be we'd be at the behest yeah, of possibly the um the situation we've, we haven't had for a long time and would now be difficult to take where it would be like you don't know everything you know and I think this is not right yet, and you know, and that is valuable, of course. And the good thing about notes, because not, it's not always bad, is when you get one, and it niggles at an, in an area of the script where you think yourself you've had a question mark over it, and then you've got to take that and own it and think, yeah, there's something wrong with that bit. Because, and I didn't know what it was, but the fact that they've highlighted it as well. Yeah. something about it and that's uh, an itch you've got to return to and I, I see your point though about the kind of autonomy the, the artistic autonomy you've got at the BBC but it does it sort of rings a bell with that and, you know 22 year old producer leaving Dennis Potter in yeah. reception which is right. the most yes. awful so you know that Dennis Potter one of the greatest you know television playwrights ever yeah. you know um, some 22 year old said she'd get back to him I mean it's just repulsive I was saying you didn't direct but you do direct when you're actually acting, because I, I even remember saying to you just in that two lines, going, "Is that is that her joke or your joke?" And you went, "Oh, it's my." So that's direct. And I went, "No, it's my joke." And yeah. Well, no. Do you know what I mean? Because it could have been the other way. You yeah. Know, you could have written. Oh the yeah. Joke I mean, character. I, I think, so, yeah. There's a big thing in the writing of our <laughs> things because we're actor writers. That's uh, it circumvents a lot of rewriting. I think. I mean, there is rewrites on our things, but we, as we go, we're rehearsing it because we'll write a scene and then we'll do it. Yeah. And instantly, that tells you a lot. It tells you so much about the script. But you think, actually, in, it just feels wrong. You go, oh, you don't need that. You can go from there to there, and I can do that in a look. And that's an instant rewriting uh, of a version of events where, because the writing is important, but it's ultimately how it's it's on its feet yeah. delivered is where how people will consume it and experience it. And that that's a, a big shorthand that we have 
just by accident by the fact that we write it, act it as well. And we're always very happy to, for any actor to be in it to look at the script and say, and, you know, if, they, if somebody's not sitting right in their mouth how to say a certain phrase, we'll say, oh, change it, change it. You know, we're not prescriptive about every comma and, and really? full stop. Not, not massive. I mean, sometimes if it's an approximation all the way through, we'll, we'll go, yeah. will you learn it? Yeah. <laughs> so otherwise, it's just like what you're doing, you're improing it. But um, so here and there, if people have got a, a better idea, we'll... We don't go, no, you can't. I, I, we thought about this in a room eight months ago, and every word I'm is surprised. absolutely perfect. That's just surprising, because it's like John Burns' famous thing. Is he all, when he was starting, he always go, I think you'll find that's a comma. Right, yeah. Stop. And, you know, I kind of guess that's the Yeah, way. I mean, it depends. <laughs> it's a case by case, because sometimes yeah. it is important exactly yeah. what the, a, a word we've toiled over is, is said. And, it, and we've gone in and gone, could you actually say that? Because that's funnier. Yeah. They might not know why, but it just is. Yeah. Socks so, so it, it's some, yeah, it's like whether or not it matters or not. Um, another clip. Um, impossible to pick something from inside number nine. Every single yeah. one is different. It's brilliant. But this is this is from Diddle Diddle Dumpling, which is right. genius. And once again, I mean, genius, I mean, mental illness or, you know, I mean, you go, ah, you couldn't afford, you see, BBC Two could not afford her. I know, yes, <laughs> amazing to get Keely to do it, yeah. We tried and to get her a few times, I think, mm -hmm. for the parts, and she wasn't free, but finally we managed to get there her you go. That, yeah. No, you can get anyone. Well, I don't know, but yeah, it's lovely mm -hmm. that we get to, for having so many years only acted alongside ourselves over mm -hmm. and over, it, it's, it, it's such a refreshing thing to have casts where we're the same character for a week and we have a different... And they never intimidate you? No, 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 it's not. I mean, because they're creeping in on our yeah. our terms, aren't they? So I, you know, oftentimes it's they're more nervous mm. about um, <laughs> the tone of it than, than we are because yeah. we sort of flip between week upon week. And that, a nice thing that gives us renewed energy when we film the number nines is that we have uh, the, the, the change in cast week upon week. So Steve and I are flagging as we go through filming for the length of time we do. But then... Each week is renewed. Mm. We've got to sort of go welcome the new cast and start again. And it's a, like a new production, mm. literally is. So that, that gives us um, a new kick in our step when we start again each week. So, but they've all been, everyone's been, no one has, I remember we, I met and had a long talk with um, Helen McCrory. She wanted to meet, I mean, I knew her from, I'd done As You Like It. With oh, yeah, okay. <clears throat> uh, to play my sister in The Harrowing. And she wanted to meet before and talk about it, because it was like, I want to get the tone. I don't want to arrive on the day and then just talk about it. I right. want to just know I'm doing going into it. Mm. But she was very rigorous about Great. about uh, yeah. the part. Good. <laughs> she was saying, what church? She said, so my, at the church, what church am I going to? Mm -hmm. I said, I don't know. It's just a line. <laughs> <laughs> but she was very, yeah, she's great. She's funny. I love that one. I did see that coming, because I wanted it to happen. <laughs> anyway, that, um, can I ask you a really dull, prosaic question, asking for a friend? Um, when you're writing partnership, who paces and who actually types? Um, Steve does a lot of the typing, but we, we do swap. Right. I feel like I'm pacing more than he is. Mm. But then he'll go, you do it, I'm so tired. We've got like a, so it's very, it's a cell, it's a very monastic cell that we write in, in this room in Muswell Hill, and it's, uh, there's nothing in it. There was, there was a wardrobe, which is where, Sardines came from for number nine. We would just stare at this wardrobe every day. And Stephen said, Is there a game where people go in a cupboard? And then we'd go into that. And uh, we have a, just the laptop and a few post its, and, a, and that's it. Oh. It's really sparse. And we can't even make a cup of tea in it. There's nothing in it. Because people who write one at pieces and types often fall out about that. Yeah. You know, you, go, you haven't written it down properly. Anyway, um, no, we are, we haven't never really fall, fell out. The thing you said about your brother, I think it's something wrong there. Because if your brother catches fish, when he stops catching fish at the weekend, he's off duty. But when you've got a creative mind, this is not being <coughs> this is not being pretentious. I really mean this. Being creative is working twenty four seven all the time because you don't stop. Every time you see something, you yeah. go to a restaurant, you're seeing something that could be possibly an idea. And there's something rather gorgeous for people that work really hard, particularly manually, physically, or anything, that when he stopped catching pelagic fish, that's it over for the day. Yes. It's never over for you. 
Yeah, I know that's true. Yeah, it's that like, well, like line in Miller's Crossing. I'll show you the life of the mind. Yeah. In, um, uh, Barton Fink. Yeah, yeah. I'll show you the life. I will show you the life of the mind. <laughs> and uh, it's yeah, it is. It's a funny thing because you do. I've got you know that mad thing of waking up and in the night dark stumbling and writing a thing down, and my wife's like, "What's what's happening? You've yeah. been burgled?" No, no, I just thought of a thing, and, and it's them. Yeah. So that's always going on, and it is hard to turn off. I very quickly can turn off, though. I can get oh, into tracts of uh, not doing... I'm loving not doing anything. I mean, we are. We're in the edit, and we, I'm in every day, actually, so I'm not, <laughs> yeah, not doing that's, that's not what we're calling the It's not off, <laughs> no, but it's not doing it. I mean, the, the, it's not um, the doing of it, which is always a terror, because that, that's the time where you've got to do the best you can do it so that you've got you've gathered the pieces to mm. then then can be put mm. together to make the programme and you just want to be you don't want to let yourself down or think God uh, the horror of being in the edit and thinking we didn't get a thing or I didn't I let myself down because I didn't know it well enough I've seen things in, and I, I can see when I don't know it well enough and it pisses me off that I wasn't more rigorous mm. with the line so I really make sure now that I can enjoy it and have all the choices by really knowing it, because mm -hmm. you can't do it as well as you can do it if you don't. If you're slightly reaching for the lines, yeah. this is all acting, but you just have to know it backward, and then you can explore and on a hairpin try different things. You only get about the two takes. Mm. We don't go more than two takes. Yeah. You've got to go right, yeah, moving on, and it's like that's it. That's that big moment we spent so long in the, that room writing. Yeah. I've done it now. I've had two goes at it, mm -hmm. and that's it. And let's hope to God it's there. I you know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't, did so, you? Yes. You gave me a lovely story about Gemma Atherton and doing a four hour setup at Bond. Yes, that's to, true. To make me not so nervous because you're so sweet. Um, <laughs> you're, you're never going to get bored with Inside Number Nine because of the variety. Because you, yeah, because it's not it black. does reset itself. Yeah, because it's not Black Mirror, which is the you know, which is Technofear, and it's you know it's not Twilight Zone, which has got to be a twist in the tail. You can do anything you like, so that actually could go on until you're 90. But yeah. I imagine that at some point you will never get bored with the content, but you might get bored with the format. And so I suppose the next step, obviously, is features, you know, to make a feature. Um, and people have been talking about the feature of League of Gentlemen, which I think, you know, my personally is a bad idea. But anyway, um, you must have a million ideas for that. And I... Um, are you prepared to sort of dip into that nest of serpents that is the film world? Yeah, well, it's again, it would be it would be deciding to embrace the process that you would have to embrace yeah. to do such an endeavour, and uh, it, it shouldn't stop us. We have had talk, and we've wrote. You know, I can't talk about that, but we did write a thing, and it's stuck in the ether of not being able to be made, and it's a really good script as well. But it might be made, and uh, that would be great. And it, if it happens, but I just we're mortal. And they take so long. Talking to Jeremy about how they got ghost stories finally made. It was five years of their lives, you know, but sort of waiting on whims. Oh, it's all gone away. Oh, it's all back. And oh, no, it's all oh, gone it's away. Brilliant. Yeah. And it's yeah. really hard to sort of countenance the t just taking the energy of that. Of that. It's mm -hmm. worth it. It's great. I mean, Ben does it, and he weekly, mm -hmm. and it, you, you, there is the end. You've got this thing that'll last, and he's there, and but. Seen by far fewer people than if it was on yeah, telly. Yeah, I agree. And you've got to be one gear. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like it's hard. You have to be really good. I think we would like to do something, but maybe just a low-budget thing, just to experience doing a 90-minute thing. Oh. Yes, it's a different way of doing it. Just, just before open to questions, I suppose just one last question, which is as an actor rather than a writer, you must, I mean, you must get pursued to, you know, even to have parts in Hollywood movies and so on and everything. Have you ever been... And I, you know, I'm guessing you'd probably just say no. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. Yeah. Uh, I've uh, well, no, not that many Hollywood movies, but I've done. No, I'm I've sure not, you will, um, though. Yeah. I'm not interested in, in going away mm. from the family. I, yeah. I try not, never to go away for more than a mm. week, literally. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I'm very. Uh, I'm like Bob Mortimer. I just stay. I'm in all the time. <laughs> this is a weird Sweet. thing for me to have come out this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, when I'm not doing the acting, I, I'm, I'm very happy being at home. Just pottering around doing my magic tricks and so, looking in, in my in my horrors. Yeah, I don't ever take a role in Game of Thrones. I've well... A friend of mine nearly did. I said, we'll have to sp not stop speaking yeah, to you Yeah, there was then. a foray about... I did have some inquiry <sighs> about Game of Thrones, but I didn't... No, anyway, anyway. right, this, this is the audience's chance. So, we've got a roving mic, um, so if you want to put your hand up and um, I will... 
kick you out, move them in. So lady down the front here, first thanks. Move, moving like a gazelle. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, I just wondered if you ever run out of, or worried that you'll ever run out of ideas. Yes. <laughs> of course, yeah. I mean, that's the, the tyranny of the number nines is that they, they consume storytelling and ideas. You know, I'm often thinking, God, we could have done this. This could have been a whole series, you know. But one, but one of the, the flip side of it is it's great to be able to have those those peaks in those stories that you couldn't have if you had to reset, if it was a sitcom or a situation that was going to be ongoing. They're only good because you can conclude with sort of some great, extraordinary moments. But uh, yeah, you just have to think, you will not run about out of ideas, but you maybe just need to recharge your batteries and let the well fill up again, you know, and just have moments of just going away from it for a while. Otherwise, you start to think, you're thinking too much like everything is like everything. You know, often with a, a few of the number nine ideas we had for series five, we got so far down the road and it suddenly our eyes, the, the veil parted and we sort of realized it was the same story done in, with the nuts and bolts of, the, of something we'd already done. And that's even harder now because we've done 25 of them, whatever it is, and it's to sort of tell something that feels very different every time with it, us being in them as well. There's a lot of things against us now because the fact that there's been so many. But yeah, it is hard, but you just got to, the, the um, invention and the spark of the germ of an idea can come from the, the most odd place. So you just hope that you, as long as you're still in the world, although I'm not, am I? I've just said I'm in my house all the time. <laughs> you, uh, you do sort of see things that just will um, kick off something, you know. And oftentimes you can think of a thing and it might not be right for, you know, you're pursuing something. We've had ideas for stories and they've gone down dead ends. But the, a bit of that story, when we were pursuing it, has found its way into something else. So nothing ever wasted. Thank you. Thanks. Um, is that the third row? Thank you. I'll come back to you. Third? Sorry. Thank you. Just that there. Oh, okay. Okay. Thanks. Hello. Hi, um, I was just wondering... In League of Gentlemen Live again, the musical number between Tubbs and Edward, what was the process behind creating that? Um, well, Steve wrote uh, the tune. I was in New York and he sent me, a, he sang it on his phone. <laughs> and he said that we should do a, I think we we talked about doing a musical thing with Tubbs and Edward before, so it was, and it just felt like a nice way of bringing back those characters and the start of Act Two we wanted to start with a bang, you know, so full-on Les Mis uh, idea for, for those two, and we just thought it felt right. In some ways, I wish we'd tried to do the whole hog and done the whole thing as a musical, because it seemed to be very <laughs> successful. It was Sondheim, wasn't it? Hey, up there. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. Follies. So, yeah, it was just that, really, and we'd sort of done a bit of uh, that uh, in the, the panto version of last time we did some musical numbers. We've always done songs in the league, mm. so it just felt right that we should do that. Yes, this lady at the front here, thanks. Um, just following on from the first question, I was just wondering, with the league, you obviously had a lot of ideas, you talked about it earlier, about um, sort of keeping them or like throwing them away because they didn't quite work. Have you ever brought something back closer to for number nine and things like that, if that makes uh, sense? Yes, well, we had, I mean, the, the silent singer in Psychova was an, a character we'd done for years and in our lives, and we thought that would be a funny thing to give to the world. Um, but no, some things have crept back in. I mean, I'd always wanted to do a Fritzl number nine where the reveal would be that someone was keeping someone trapped. And we tried an idea with that same idea as the reveal. Uh, it's a funny idea, so I don't, it might be used again, but it didn't quite fit for that idea. But that reveal ended up in the one that we finally did with... Steve being the wedding photographer, and that was an exercise in sort of hiding the, what was really happening in, in, in a story that looked like it was something else. And so some ideas do find their way back into uh, being useful, but we've never had a character, full-on character, that we've not been able to use, because they're mainly born out of the stories. Um, yes, just that. Doing it, and then that lady up there. There was a there was a horror, there was a horror where Brian Cox was kept captive, wasn't there? What was the drama that one? 
Oh, oh. oh get to you later. Sorry. <laughs> what was that? Yeah. He was trapped. There we go. Um, oh, yes, yeah, it was yeah. Silent Scream. Yes. It's Hammer House of Horror, Pete's Cushing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, I just wanted to ask you about Deadline. Um, when I tuned in to watch it, I felt so gut-wrenchingly sorry for you when the yeah. scene started it. Um, and going from that to being so terrified I couldn't sleep for about six hours afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, how did you and Steve feel through the running of the show when obviously there's a lot of scenes you two were just together on your own? Was it yeah. hard to switch off and about what was coming next and just be in the moment? So how did you feel? It was very funny because they've... Um, we're screening Deadline at the BFI next month and I think that they're going to... They've got the gallery... Uh, you know, the gallery where they're calling the shots, the audio of it. Mm-hmm. I think they might play a bit of it, which is good. And it's actually very, it's quite frenetic, but in between, it's all very ordered. It's strangely not as sort of panic stations as you might think it would have been. It was, because we had the reset time, it didn't feel, and this was fantastic, that once we started, that was it. We were off for a whole live half hour because we had the moments of respite where we had the, archive stuff to be able to go to and that just gave us a bit of breathing time to get to the next place we need to be in in Maidstone and um, just go right it's going all right yeah it's good good but what it did do what, what was a scary element of the whole night that we had to get right was not to spread or, or be too short because when you're filming live what happens is everyone gabbles and it ends up 20 minutes long because mm. oh, I'm doing it live I can't believe it <laughs> And then it fin- and it's too, too quick. So they were instructing us in between each gap when they come running in going, it's, we're on course, it's fine. Or, or you're too long, got it. can you tighten up the next bit? So that we had a scary bit where um, it was too long and we had to do the bit where I wander over to Stephanie Cole and she's just sat before she cuts her own throat. Can't believe we made Stephanie Cole cut her throat <laughs> on television. And that was a bit where they said, you've got to speed up, we're a bit over. So we suddenly had to, me and Stephanie had to do that a bit, a bit quicker than we would have normally done it. But it was fine, it was good fun. I mean, other than me having my phone on and getting real-time texts from people, it was much calmer. I was more, I was really scared at the start, the build-up the build to it, the being beamed, knowing that we were going out live just became a big thing in my mind and... Uh, I remember as the vicar having my cup of tea and I was shaking with the tea. I thought, I'm never like this. It was really weird. Not even on stage? No, no, not on stage. I mean, the first performance of everything, I get a bit nervous, but generally, and then I'm fine. But I was actually literally rattling the tea and I thought, I'll put that down. (laughs) (laughs) Calm. And uh, yeah, that was was scary. And then uh, once we'd got into it, it was fine. Did you keep the head? Yes, of course I did. Just, just checking. Of course I did. Sorry, that leaves. I keep missing you, sorry. I put it, I got it out of Halloween, left it on the side. <laughs> Hi. Um, as a sort of writer-actor, are you motivated more by writing like characters for you to play or more for, from like telling a story? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we do... Uh, it's both, really, but there is the element of... And, and what's the part for me in it? So we do ultimately think... I, it's funny, I don't know whether we have a weird sort of rule where we're not, we don't really talk about what part we'll, that's in there that we're writing in this story that is for you or, or me, it's mm. or for Steve or I, but it's funny that it's not, um, it's not the driving force. More and more, we're quite happy to just write the right story without shoehorning in a part for me or Steve. Because that has to be the way around it, mm. it is, you know. We hope that people like seeing us in it as well, but that's become less of an important thing than it being a showcase for me and Steve and more just getting the story right and getting good people to do it. But we always end up with a script where there is two obvious people that we could play and invariably always the other way around. You, know, um, we've, you could always swap, if you look at the parts that we've played, and just play the game of swapping them, you probably you, you would buy it. I mean, it might be that you watch it and think, I can't imagine it any other way, but we've always had the, uh, the, the conversation about, well, I could do that one. Mm. Do you want to do oh, I'll do that one because that's a bit like that one. And in the end, it becomes a pragmatic thing about feeling tonally over the six. You're not repeating yourself a little bit. I mean, of course we are, because mm. we've done so many now, it's hard mm. to do anything different, different pair of glasses. That's all we've got <laughs> left. <laughs> Uh, 
It's all ladies. <laughs> men, men are also allowed to ask questions, Steph. Hi, Rhys. Um, you've actually mentioned this just there, but um, see the scene where you walk towards Stephanie Cole? how there's the piece of camera equipment that's covering your face. Yeah. Basically, my brother seems to think that that's not you in that scene, and it's a double. So, no, can you just confirm that it is you? Because I've Definitely, told him a million yeah. times, and he's like, no, it's Why a double. Why wouldn't it be me? I don't know, because like, you can see you walking in and walking out. Yeah. But he's like, no, no it's, it's covering his camera. face. Yeah, it was so, definitely right. me. So, okay, that's fine. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we thought it would be, yeah, it was quite, you know, that looks so... I mean, obviously, it was very deliberately that we didn't see my face in it. We just wanted to, it to look messy, yeah. No, definitely me. <laughs> uh, gentleman there, Mr. Spexer. Um, you're obviously a huge fan of, uh, of old horror films and TV yeah. shows. Uh, I just wonder what it was like working with David Warner. David Warner oh, in Warner. Mm. Yeah, he was great. I mean, we worked with him um, on the League film, because he was in that, that as Dr. P. <laughs> and... Uh, we asked him back to do um, Andrew Pike, the judge in Elizabeth Gadge, which is, is probably my favourite number nine, that episode. And I love him in it. And he was, I knew he'd be brilliant. He's so funny. And he never gets asked to do it. And, and I just knew that he would have a, such a devilish time with it. And he, he really delivered it. You know, it was, he was sort of the David that we know from Time Bandits, really, in that, in that part. You know, it's that... that um, uh, sort of, he was he was quite evil, but he was actually really funny as well. And man with two brains, yeah, he's done lots of really good, funny parts. But uh, iconic, I mean, and so humble with it. You know, he was talking. You know, I still I'm in contact with him, and I can't believe I'm talking to him. I, I was obsessed with the Omen when I was young. Uh, I, uh, two weeks in, I finally asked him about the decapitation scene in the Omen. <laughs> and. And I said, have you still, you still got the head? He said, I lost it in the divorce. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was lovely. Just, just briefly, are there any other shows or, or films you would like to bring back? You talked about Hammer House of Horror. Is there anything you would, like passion projects you think should be rebooted that you would like to do? Oh, that's a good question. I don't... Well, I, we get to do so many sort of tonally different things. I feel like I'm a magpie doing versions of all the things I used to like. I think they should, well, definitely, obviously, bring back Columbo. Because <laughs> that would be a brilliant show to, uh, Not without to watch Falk. again. No, it's, it's all him, though. Yeah, I know, yeah, it was. Yeah. It would be hard. Mm. But that is a lovely format uh, uh, to always watch, to know the murderer and then see how it unravels. That's a, and you don't see that very often. No, my wife. Just one question my wife yeah, wants to know. Exactly, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. I'll just up there at the back. Just hang in. Okay. Probably got time just for, just for two more questions, I think. Thanks. Hi. Uh, that, that's been really interesting talk, uh, hearing you talk. Thanks so much. Um, it was just some of the episodes, sort of the Zanzibar one and the cryptic crossword, and it's just kind of amazing how clever they are. I'm just wondering if you sort of revel giving yourself those kind of challenges on top of just doing, you know, the normal kind of 30 minutes, because it's just it's amazing, like, all the stuff that you get into. Them. Yeah. I mean, it's wearisome, isn't it, to think... <laughs> it's hard enough anyway just to do one and then sort of set the parameters of, like, let's do one in iambic pentameter. <laughs> And, and that was a challenge, you know, and the, and the silent one we did, which was an exercise in can we get to the end without speaking. Mm. And that annoys me because I've read things like, it's such a shame you had to do that last line that you had. It's like, well, that was That's deliberate, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't, I only could have got to the end with the, not without the line. It's not quite silent, is it? It's like, <laughs> yeah, now if only we could have nipped that line. <laughs> so, anyway... You know what, you see why I'm so angry. Yeah, I can see why I'm so angry. So yes, it is hard, it's a challenge, but it, one of the beauties of, and, you know, the um, joys of, of it is that we are able to set ourselves those challenges and, and trust, just try to tell, because it's relentless and it's stories, story after story after story, we didn't want to feel it's all, it, it's, it just falls into something that you can expect to see done in a certain way. So it was always nice to sort of slightly shake up the, the way we deliver the story. So um, doing the Shakespeare one, I mean, you might say it's just all gimmicky and doesn't really count, but I, I feel like we really try to make it worth the while investigating that way of doing it. And it just gives it something else, gives it a different way of, uh, of experiencing the characters in the story that week. But it's not everything. I, th I don't think it has to be the be all and end all. It's terribly clever. It's gentleman here. It's the last question, I think. So, Hello. Hi, I'll wait Hello. for the microphone. Microphone. So we can all hear you at the back. 
Iris uh, and Psychoville. Your daughter, was she scared of you as Mr. Jelly? <laughs> yeah, I think she was, yeah. Um, she seen me as Jeff as well when she was really little. That was oh. oh. traumatising. She was looking at me like, Daddy? Um, the Jelly, we needed some a little girl to be... The thing that the BBC were not were worried about was when Mr. it says Mr. Jelly pulls the girl's hair when combing the hair with the hook hand. Mm. He had, a, he had an attachment that was a comb, and it was just really roughly. And, I, and they were like, who are we going to get? You can't be seen to be doing that to the child. And I said, well, my daughter, I do that every day. <laughs> and then it sort of pursued from that sort of idle threat. It was, it was made, made real, and she came and did it. She was more nervous about suddenly how many more people there are on a set. Because you watch it, things, and you think it's just them, don't you? You know, 25 people all just silently looking at you when you're doing it. <laughs> and that was unnerving for her. She was six or something, she was really little. I think it's a really good performance. Yeah. But because she did it quite, you know, from not knowing what to repeat things, you know, suddenly you get into the thing of continuity mm. and being able to do things over and over. So, but she was a bit scared. I think weird, she, she's told me that she was angry. Amanda Abingdon was playing her mum in it. She was cross with Amanda because she was shouting at me, her dad. <laughs> so she was on Mr. Jelly's side. Which was... <laughs> thank you. Okay, so thank you so much. I'm going to do the boring bit after Reese has gone because that's, I'm not going to let you sit through this. I just wanted to say thank you so much oh, for welcome. coming up. It's unbelievably honoured to have you here, Reese. <laughs> Everybody, Reese Sherry. Thank you. Reese. To listen to the dolls to housekeeping stuff. And I just want to remind you that today's session is going to give you access to the closing drinks reception uh, and the party that's in the long gallery on the fifth floor from 6.15. Yeah, you really should come along because it's networking as part of this whole BAFTA guru thing, which is absolutely brilliant. And of course, if you have liked what you've seen today, you honestly, I can't stress this enough, you really should consider joining BAFTA Scotland. There's all kinds of different levels. We don't have to have tons of money to join it. The student, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, I have been in it for like 25 years and it's just been the best. Honestly, it's the most wonderful, wonderful organisation to be part of. There's screenings all year. There's master classes. There's mentoring. Honestly, it's it's the business. So if you just check out the BAFTA Scotland website for more info. And thank you so much for coming. It's great. I'll thank you, Reese, again. Thank you.